Hello and welcome back to the Next Stage podcast by Web Summit. My name is Luke and today we're taking you inside the minds of business and cultural leaders from around the globe. It's Tuesday, so we're looking at some of the best and brightest minds that CollisionConf has to offer. So sit back, relax and listen in. We'll be hearing from leading minds and industry giants from all over the planet. I am so excited to be chatting with you today and I'm so glad that you are doing well during the pandemic. Thank you. Nice to see you. So how's everything been for you during this crazy time? It's been a year, which is hard to believe, but you've definitely been staying busy. Uh, yeah, I had. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I wanted to keep busy. Hey, I wanted to kind of, I filmed my special, my standup HBO special, HBO Max called Evolution at the beginning of the pandemic, just or in the summer, because I just felt like, oh God, I have to contribute something during this incredibly dark time. And then, yeah, and then at, at the end of December, I was just like, uh, I want to, I was getting, I was coming to Canada to perform here. I had a residency here, but they didn't know if they were going to loosen the restrictions enough to have those kinds of gatherings. So I came up anyway, and uh, I was waiting for them to open and they never did. So I've just been skiing all winter. So I've been living probably my best life. Yeah. Well, that's, as you said, you took the words right out of my mouth, living your best life, not a bad life. And you've also though, you have been so active as you always are on your social media and talking about, you know, health and safety with the pandemic. So you haven't just been skiing. You've been using your platform for good as you always do. Yeah, I try to combine the two. I try not to be too selfish or too self-absorbed in my own, um, you know, desires. But, you know, you do need a reset. I needed a reset anyway. We've had that election and we had and then COVID and all of it. It was just became so ugly and people refusing to wear masks. And, and, you know, coming to Canada was like entering civilization again after four years. It felt like, oh, people are respectful. They're polite. They're, they care about other people. So it was hard, you know, the last couple, four years in America has been ugly and divisive and it's just, and it still is. So it's been nice to get out of it and not be tied to the news, you know, not have the news on all the time. You, you know, I struggle because I want to be informed, obviously, but I also know that, you know, when I run out of gas, I need a reset. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to get back to your HBO Max stand-up special, which you just alluded to. But first, since, you know, we're talking about this crazy year and past four years and with the whole political cycle and then the election cycle. And now you said it kind of, it finally kind of feels like it's a new world, but something that really happened with you and your platform is you really emerged as this women's right activist. And you were really using your platform and your voice to educate people on politics and on everything going on in the world. And I'm wondering, was that a specific concerted effort or did that just come up because you said, I can't not use my voice? Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, I don't have any strategy in life. I'm just doing what I feel is right and necessary to do, you know, and I, I am, a, I'm loud and I'm a leader. Like I, I like to, I like to get into it with people and I like to open people's eyes to things that I've had my eyes open to, you know, because um, we all participate in this. We all participate in sexism and racism. And sometimes we don't even know the roles we play. So, you know, as soon as I find out information about that or, and how I can do better, I want to share that with people. And I want to inspire other people to do the same, you know, because it really is as a, as a woman, we have such a responsibility to other women. You know, we have 
to be together. <laughs> we have to work together. It's us, you know, as a unit, as a collective. And for so many years, we've allowed men to kind of tear us apart. You know, we've allowed this whole kind of patriarchal system to define us and think that there's not room for all of us, or there's only room for one of us or some of us. And that's simply not true. And the same goes, you know, for race. It's, it's like we have the more, the better everyone does, the better everyone does. So we should be rooting for everyone to do just as well. Um, you know, it's nice to be competitive and ambitious and all of those things. But at the end of the day, I mean, I really give a shit about humanity and I give a shit about what kind of mark I'm going to leave and, and how I can, you know, how I can be of use and service to people and not just be not just collecting paychecks so because you you're successful you know you have to think outside of that like what 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 kind of projects am i going to do what what am i saying and what message am i sending well i'm glad you brought that up because obviously you are now in a state and i'm sure you know anyone could always be more successful and be making more money but you are in a position in your career now where you are very successful and i would imagine that you can pick and choose the projects that you do. So at what point did you feel that shift that you can choose projects that you don't just have to do something for a paycheck that you can actually do something that you're really, really proud of and that you want to put out there in the world? Well, I mean, listen, I'm in, I'm in a position of privilege and I was became aware of that. And the minute I became aware of that, I made a decision to do, do better, you know? Yeah, Chelsea Lately was a really fun show for me and it launched my career as well as many others, but that's not my, that doesn't define me. That's one element of me, you know? I don't wanna sit around making fun of everybody for the rest of my life. I'd rather make fun of myself, you know what I mean? That's more, that's easier and, and, and there's less guilt involved. So, but, you know, once I became aware of my position, I just thought, well, this is this I can do better. You know, I can do, I can do projects that are more meaningful than this. And, you know, I, I, I'm lucky enough to be able to do that. Not everybody is, but everybody it has the ability to incorporate their kind of social, racial justice, whatever you're passionate about. It should be those things, too. Um, into your work, you know, or into your spare time and, you know, what, whatever organizations you support, follow, show up for, you know, contribute to. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that you brought up that Chelsea Lately, it was a show that I think certainly as a young woman and I watched it was ahead of its time. I mean, still years later, there's barely any women in late night, but I'm really glad that you brought up that the show did help to launch other careers. And I feel like this is something that maybe because you're modest, that isn't talked about a lot um, and that you should get credit for because you really have always had a platform where you brought certainly other women onto that show and helped launch a lot of careers. So can you talk about that at the time? Did you say that I always want to be supportive and make room for other women? Or again, is that just something that was innately part of you? I mean, it's it's innately part of me because I am a girl, so it's natural to be you know drawn to other women and girlfriends. I have I've always had lots of girlfriends, and you know that's what my show was putting my friends on in the beginning, and then more you know then it became more and more successful. So they would bring comics to us, and we would audition people. But yeah, I think it's a natural instinct to want to help your friends or to to be the place where they can be on your show with you and you're hanging out with your friends on a round table on TV like how much fun is that you know and that's what that show was all about so yeah it, it, it but 
I think now differently, I think about it differently. I think about, okay, you know, you think about race and you think about sexism and you think it is mandatory. Now we have to, we have to do better than what we've been doing. And then it was just, it was just a natural instinct. It wasn't strategic. I wasn't like, I'm going to make women's careers. It was just, there were so many women around me and so many comics that I had come up with that it was the right, it was just a natural thing to do. Did you feel as you were coming up, certainly in the early days, and I mean, the entertainment business is one of the hardest, most competitive businesses, but comedy, stand-up is highly, highly competitive. Did you feel like you were coming up in a male-dominated world? And, and what were some of the challenges for you in the early days of your career? Well, listen, I had a big set of blinders on, you know, like when I want something, I, I just went after it. And I wasn't really paying attention to the, the sexism that was at play because I had the privilege of not having to, you know, I was getting noticed and I was getting attention without having that be a big stumbling block for me. But the problem with that is that I wasn't paying attention to what was happening to other women. You know, other women were dealing with that more than I was. I just kind of had like, you know, I'd go to the comedy store, I'd do my set and all these guys would be hanging out and I'd walk right out the door and get my car and leave. Like I just didn't participate in that. And I noticed a lot of actual, you know, the, the, a lot of the competition was coming from women in powerful positions. Women in powerful positions were, were, you know, had, had problems with me or saying she's not funny enough or she's too pretty or her boobs are too big. Like the, the craziest things. And I was getting that from women who were like club owners or, you know, uh, development executives. And I remember being like, oh God, you know, it didn't occur to me that that is part of all of what men have done by being in such powerful positions, you pit women against each other. And so that was hard. Um, but yeah, no, you know, I, I've, I don't, I'm, I'm sure I've experienced sexism, um, but I'm sure a lot of it has played out behind closed doors and I wasn't open, like I wasn't exposed to it. So I didn't know about it. But yeah, we have all experienced it. It's part of our life. I've been sexist against women. I've been like, oh, that woman, you know, is a pain in the ass. You know, I've said things that now I'm like, well, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. You have to look at the entire picture. That's not a fair description of anybody. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed a, a big change, certainly, in the last few years in the entertainment business? Because as you said, there is this notion, I think, of uh, also women who are competitive with others. And to your point, and I think you're absolutely right, it's because this industry has been so dominated by men that they've created this culture that women have to be competitive. And what you're saying is, no, when we all win, then everyone wins. Uh, have you noticed that shift? And when did you really start to, to feel that happening? I think when Trump was elected, that was a pretty big wake up call for women, you know, women that voted for him and all of the white women that voted for him and all of the women that listen to their husbands and vote for somebody like that, regardless of what he says about women and what he did to women and continues to do and has done. Um, I think that was a turning point because we realized, oh, whoa, 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 what have we done? Like, what are we doing? You know, this is a racist, you know, name calling rodent that we elected to office. And so you really had to look around and say, okay, so it, it brought a lot of women together. You know, the women's March was a perfect example. I led the one in park city that year and, you know, that was powerful, but it, it was, it was a very stark reminder that we are stronger together. And, uh, you know, I, I have definitely loosened my judgment about 
all sorts of things. Like, you know, when you look at the big picture and you're, and you're sitting there picking apart this person's personality or this person's motive or this person's ambition, it's like, fuck all that. We all have to stick together, okay? We've, men have been in control for all of, these, all of this time, all of these centuries, and this is where we are. We're still fighting for equal rights. So we need to be more powerful. And the only way to do that is in unison. So actually, the first time that I met you was at Sundance after you had led the Women's March. And this was after the inauguration. And I'm pretty sure we were playing a drinking game and doing an interview. And it went viral. And we won't do- Oh, really? Wow, that sounds right. That sounds right, a drinking game while we're interviewing. I was actually going to make a cocktail here, and then I forgot to. I mean, feel free. I mean, I won't waste waste your time while I make a cocktail. I could wait. So at that, during that interview, uh, the reason why it went viral is because I had asked you if you would want to interview Trump. You said no. And I said, what about Melania? And you said she can barely speak English. And that went viral. Um, and, you know, I stand by, I, by the way, I stand by that statement. OK, so I was going to ask you in terms of now the state of comedy right now, uh, a lot of comedians are saying they feel like they can't say what they want to say because of cancel culture. How do you feel about the state of comedy? And I bring up that example because I'm wondering, you know, if you said that now, how do you think it would have been received? Well, Melania is a special guest, you know what I mean? She's a participant in destruction. So like, I don't really, you know, Ivanka, the same thing. I don't have a lot of sympathy for women who don't support women and who don't fight for women, uh, especially when you're in a powerful position to do just that. Uh, Yeah, people are challenged because there seems to be more restrictions placed on comedy. I think that's good. Let's get more clever. Let's get smarter, you know, figure out different ways to get over a wall. You don't have to just be so obvious. You know, I did jokes like that for years that were, you know, that were inappropriate for 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 Jewish people, for Asian people, for black people, all of those things. We're all guilty of that. But there has to be an evolution. There has to be a time where you can go, okay, that's no that's no longer appropriate. And it actually never was. I'm sorry. And I'm going to move forward with new material, you know, and this stand up special that I just shot last summer, that's uh, that we're talking about called evolution was about me trying to find something of meaning to do. Like, how do I make a stand-up show have impact and not just be joke, 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 but have real depth, you know, and say something to like the human condition. Like, hey, we're all suffering. We're all trying to do the best we can. I mean, not all of us are trying to do the best we can, but a lot of us are trying to do the best we can. Some people can do a lot fucking better, in my opinion. But, uh, you know, I wanted, you know, I had to work in a way where I wanted to make social statements about racial justice, about sexism, and within within that, you know, and and I was able to do it, and it was the most rewarding special I've ever done. So it's 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 a great challenge to have certain material taken away from you, like no more, you're not allowed to do those jokes anymore. Start thinking, you know, in a more clever way. I love that. It's like when you talk to someone who went from. HBO to broadcast and they say that the broadcast restrictions actually sometimes help them because they can't have nudity and they can't cuss and they say it's actually a challenge. So I love that you said it's a challenge not to do those jokes. Uh, Now I did, I want to talk about evolution, your special on HBO Max, because as you said, you really brought in uh, talking about human rights issues and race and gender. And it was hysterical. I was cracking up the whole time, but it's also really powerful. And I think it's the most, you've never been someone to hide things, Chelsea, but I think this is the most vulnerable 
that we've seen you. So I wanted to know, and obviously it is called evolution, kind of where did that come from that you said that you want to be so vulnerable and really put out a different sort of stand-up special? Well, I came, I wrote my book. I mean, I went to therapy for the first time in my life when I was 40, really seriously with the intention of of, of fixing something, you know, and the intention of like being honest and real. I'd been to therapy before, but never with the intention of really getting to, you know, deep. Like that scared the shit out of me as it does many of us. And then I wrote my book, Life Will Be the Death of Me before, uh, before after my therapy experience. Cause I just thought, holy shit. If I learned this much about myself and, and got the gift of self-awareness, right? through this incredible therapist that most people would never be able to even afford. Let me put that out there. I have a career in oversharing. Why not share the, this is the best part. Like I could help people heal. Um, and that was what happened. And then I thought, oh, how can I turn this into a stand-up special? You know, my, my, my therapy journey. Cause it was, it was, it was fucking hard. You know, it's hard to go in and cry knowing you're going to go sit down and cry for an hour and a half in front of, you know, a man that, you know, that's my whole thing. I never wanted to be vulnerable in front of anyone. So for me to like let the floodgates open, I was like, well, then this is worth sharing. And so, you know, the special became, was born out of the book. And then it's, it's just been, it's been so nice to let people in that way. Um, I was so guarded before and I had such a personality that was such a result of, you know, my brother dying at nine years old had a huge impact that I wasn't willing to look at. I was like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. That, that, that doesn't matter. I can do death. My mom died. My dad's dead. Finally. And my brother passed away when I was nine. Like I, I, I was so tough, so tough. And then you're like, are you that tough? You know, like, let's get into it. And now I'm even stronger because of that. You know, vulnerability is is strength. It is your your it's strong to show that you have emotions and that you feel hurt or weak. And you know, being blustery and bombastic and in everyone's face isn't necessarily strength. Mm -hmm. What has been some of the feedback that you've gotten back from this stand-up special? Because as I said, I certainly felt it uh, that you were so vulnerable, and I think that you probably did help a lot of people say, oh, maybe I should go to therapy. So I'm curious, what has some of the feedback been that you've received? Uh, you're on social media a lot, so I'm sure you've gotten a lot of DMs about it. Oh yeah, just tons, tons of people saying like they were, you know, how surprised they were, how, you know, they went from hysterically laughing to crying. And, and that was, you know, there's that moment in that movie, Steel Magnolias, where Julia Roberts's character dies. And then Sally Field and Olympia Dukakis are like, she's, she's crying. And she's like, I just want to kill. She's like, I just want to hit somebody. I just want to hit somebody. And Olivia Dukakis is like, here, hit Weeza. And like, you know, and you go from this, a heartbreak to this laughter, you know, this hysterical laughter. And for me, like that is the meaning of life. That is, you know, my mom was on her deathbed and my brothers and sisters and I were sitting there for one minute hysterically crying and then the next minute, you know, my sister farting and us all just dying on my mom's deathbed. But that's what it is without those moments, you'd all be dead too from the pain, right? So how do you bring that levity and how do you bring that emotion and marry them together? I wanted that moment in my stand-up special and you know, to hear the feedback that I, that I achieved that. And I knew I did because I felt it, you know, it was so real. You can't fake that stuff. I can't, um, 
but uh, so yeah, it's been nice. A lot of people who haven't spoken to family members in a long time. I get a lot of DMs about people like sisters. One woman said she hadn't spoken to her sister in 15 years. And after she saw the special, she called her and she's like, we have to make up, please, you know, please read her book, watch the special. And they did, and they sent me a picture. And I've heard a lot of stories like that. So to me, I mean, that's all I need is one story like that. Yeah. And in the special, you talk a lot about the evolution of you after you went to therapy, how you kind of learned to sit with things and not react. And the I, I won't give it away for those who haven't watched, but your story about sitting on the plane next to the Trump supporter, I was cackling laughing. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that was challenging. But that is talking about kind of how, how you've been saying, how you evolved. Uh, I'm curious, I do want to talk about with the special, as you said, it was shot during the summer. And obviously that was the height of the pandemic, which we're still very much in, although with the vaccines, hopefully uh, on, on the way out. But can you talk about how you were able to shoot that? Because when the camera's just on you, it looks like a normal stand-up special. And then when it pans out, you realize you're outside. I would imagine there had to have been a lot of COVID, COVID precautions. So can you discuss that and how you pulled it off? Yeah, we, it was it was it was challenging for sure, and I had to run the set you know, about twenty or twenty five times at these gross comedy clubs on the East Coast, you know, in Providence, Rhode Island, and Long Island, just to kept get it running because I had had it ready to go and tape, and then COVID hit. But I pushed through and I said, let's just do this during COVID. I don't care if there's 20 people in the audience or 200 people. Let's just go toward forward. I wanted to film it in New Jersey because that's where I'm from. And I wanted to bring that kind of energy back to New Jersey. And we filmed it at this immigration train center that has this his beautiful history, you know, about immigration. So that was meaningful to me as well. And um, I just thought the timing was right. So it, it was it had its challenges. You know, you were just praying every day that nobody on your set or crew was going to get COVID. And um, and but we were very safe and nobody did. So it was a big success. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, again, you don't, I think, give yourself enough credit for this. And I, I get it. You don't want to talk up yourself, but you've always been a go-getter and a trailblazer. And now that you're in this, to use your words, this position of privilege and power, I'm sure that you were the one that you were able to say, I want to film at this location because of its meaningful history and that you want to film in New Jersey. Um, is that correct? I don't want to make assumptions about you, but that you're able to make decisions uh, because you say like, there's meaning behind this. I want to do it this way. Yeah, and also, you know, it might sound easy for somebody to say, oh, well, you can do, you know, what you want, you, you, you can afford to do that, or you have the luxury because I have a career that's been established. But I, I would really encourage everybody to really be forceful about things that are important to you, you know, because it becomes when your intention is so strong, you, you become like a bowling ball. You are rolling down a lane and nothing can, is going to stop you when you are, your intention is fixed and focused. And I get that way about things when things matter to me. I get very focused um, and I, I try to be very true to that and i know that power of my intention i know that i have a strong personality i know i have strong energy so if i can keep that up here and bring tons of people with me then then that's a home run too okay so now i want to ask you one of my favorite questions but it's also very cliche but since this is a conversation about female leadership uh, i think it's an important one what would be the advice that you would have given your younger self like in your teens or when you were in your early 20s? 
Uh, not to smoke cigarettes ever, not even one. Never to drink diet soda, not even one. It's disgusting and it's an addiction. Um, and probably never to take a sleeping pill. Okay. Those are good pieces of advice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's probably not what you were looking for, but those are the three pieces <laughs> of advice I give myself. But my job as an interviewer is I could have asked that question better. So I'm going to ask more specifically, what would your advice have been to yourself in terms of being a young woman and really always kind of knowing your self-worth and your value and putting yourself out there? Can you answer it in kind of that way, not with like vices, with cigarettes and pills? I think, yeah, right. I think just to be Which kinder. Very good advice, by the way. <laughs> I, I wish I could have been, you know, kinder in instances. I had a real bad temper and, and, you know, and I've gone off on a lot of people. Some people deserve it, like Piers Morgan, but some people did it, you know, and I didn't have enough work, you know, that's pretty much it. I would have, I, I don't want to leave anybody feeling bad after I'm gone. I want to feel, I want people to feel good after they have an experience with me. And I, I'm very good at that. So I wish I had done most of that and less of the other stuff. Mm -hmm. By the way, I have to give you a shout out. You were once again ahead of your time with that Piers Morgan uh, interview on a show that is now recirculated and, and gone viral. You you knew <laughs> yeah, <right>. many people. <laughs> yeah, that was fun for me to watch too. I was like, oh, oh yeah. I was like, look at you, girl. I was like, that's 10 years ago. God, can you imagine the confidence? Can you imagine if I saw him now? Right. Well, you never know. You might. Uh, Chelsea, what do you think about the state of women in comedy? Because as I had said at the beginning of this conversation, there's really only two women with late night shows. And you did it a long time ago. And it seems like there's been a lot of progress. But when you look at what's on TV, maybe not much. Well, yeah, no, I think there's been a lot of progress. I mean, I don't think late night shows, they're not as prevalent as other you know, opportunities. It's not that everybody wants to be on that, you know, on that circuit. It's, it's hard. It's hardcore. You have to, you work all the time. I did it for a total between Netflix and E, I did it for 10 years, you know, of, of, of running a show. And that's not, you know, that's not what I want to do. And so, and that's not what a lot of people want to do. A lot of people want to act. A lot of people want to just do stand up. So I think the state of comedy for women is, is the field is open now. People are in it. There are so many strong female comics that are well-known and becoming well-known. Um, there's not a deficit anymore. It's not like, oh, who can we get? There's, it's plenty, you know, if you're sitting there, I have a production company. We're always putting shows together. Um, and when you're looking for comics for certain things, they're, they're bound, it's plentiful. So I, I definitely think, you know, the doors have been opened and they'll continue to stay that way because, you know, men are basically in trouble. <laughs> so women have an advantage right now and that's just the way it is. And it's fair because men have had an advantage for so many years. And I'm really glad that you made the point that just because we don't see so many women in comparison to men on late night, that the whole media landscape has changed. So that's maybe not the best way to judge the progress and to take stock of how much progress has been made. So thank you for pointing that out as well. And case in point, you have a stand-up special on HBO Max. So it's not all about late night. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Alrighty, well, Chelsea, we are out of time somehow. I could talk to you for hours on end, but thank you for using your platform. Thank you for all of your advice and leadership for women. And now we will say back to the studio in Toronto. Thanks for listening. And if you want to hear more about these topics firsthand, or you want to let us know what you want to hear, 
Be sure to check us out on any of our social media accounts or visit websummit.com. That's websummit.com.